For those of you remaining in here, please turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 9. After a two-week delay, I guess, or a, a diversion to have a topical uh, series on stewardship as well as a couple of special services, we now return to the Gospel according to Luke. I'm excited for that. I hope you are as well. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Let's give our attention now to the reading and hearing of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Jesus called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod then said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he thought, he sought, excuse me, to see him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us to have this morning. Would you, by the work of your spirit, open our eyes to behold wondrous things. Lead us, O oh God, according to your word. Help me, your servant, protect me from error. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you, O oh God. You are our rock and our redeemer. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The best way to learn something is by doing it. The best way to learn something is by doing it. A painter does not perfect the use of color composition and brush strokes by merely watching other artists. A chef does not master the art of fine cuisine from only reading cookbooks. A carpenter does not hone the craft of furniture making by studying the plans of the pieces that they would like to build. A football player does not learn how to block and tackle by staring at X's and O's on a whiteboard. And seamstresses don't become dressmakers by watching sewing demonstrations. You get the point. Learning comes by doing. So painters dip their brushes and practice on canvas. Chefs compose their recipes in the kitchen over and over again. Carpenters grab their tools and they get to work with wood. Football players put on pads and hit people. And seamstresses go to work with fabric and thread. Again, I think you get the point. Learning comes by doing. This morning, we come to a pivotal point in the gospel according to Luke 
and to a momentous occasion in the life of the disciples of Jesus. Since we were first introduced to them back in chapters five and six, these 12 men have been faithfully following Jesus as he goes from town to town, village to village, preaching the word of God, battling the spiritual forces of evil, and of course, healing the sick. These 12 men have sat at his feet. They've learned from their master. They've even had their own faith tested. But now, now comes the time when their training would move from head and heart all the way down to their feet. Jesus knows that for their learning to be complete, they will need the practical experience of doing, of doing ministry. So as he comes to the end of his ministry in Galilee, before Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem and the cross, which you can see there in 951, and before he gives the great commission at the end to reach all nations with the gospel, Jesus, as we see right there in verse two, is sending out the disciples on a mission a mission to the surrounding communities to do what? Look there in verse two. Proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. It's here that the disciples are becoming apostles. Welcome to the apostolic internship because that is what is beginning. This apostolic internship begins with the commission that Jesus gives there in verse two of our text. So those of you who are taking notes, and I know many of you like to, this is our first of three points this morning, the commission, the commission. And if you like sub points, the commission is twofold. First, you saw it, it's to proclaim the kingdom of God. And second, it is to heal. So the commission is to proclaim the kingdom of God and the commission is also to heal. So notice that preaching comes first. Preaching comes first. The primary calling of the apostles was to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Did you know that also happened to be the primary call of Jesus himself? Did you know that? If you look back in chapter four, verse 43, when people were pleading with Jesus to stay and to continue the healings and other miracles that he was performing, do you remember what he said to them? You can see it in 443. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God for I was sent for this purpose, he says. I was sent for this purpose. You see, Jesus's purpose is to be the apostle's purpose as well. And furthermore, Jesus's message was to be the apostle's message as well, following his example and those hours of teaching they had received from him, the apostles could now instruct people in the proper understanding of the law. They could call people to repentance. They could plead with people to turn away from sin, just as Jesus had been pleading with the people. And they could teach people. They could teach them to love their enemies. They could teach them to build their lives on the rock, right? To build their lives on the word of God by receiving it the same way as rich soil receives seeds. They could call them to be good soil, hear the word of God and do the word of God, put it into action. 
Think of all the other things that they could do and they could teach. Having sat with Jesus day in and day out for all that time. They were to be heralds. Heralds of the good news, the gospel. They were to preach God's kingdom to God's people. I wanna share a quote with you by Philip Ryken and his commentary on Luke, and I think it's very helpful here. He goes to a lengthy discussion. I'll share part of it about the kingdom. Todd shared some of this too in his sermon a few weeks ago. But this is what Philip Ryken says. The kingdom of God is not a territory protected by an army or an empire on a map but a sovereign dominion over the hearts of God's people. God's kingdom is God's rule, his royal authority and his sovereign reign. God is the king, Dr. Riken continues. God is the king, so wherever he is, the kingdom is. The kingdom is present wherever God exercises his kingly power and wherever people honor and serve him as their king. I shared that with you because I think it's important for us to understand this truth because it sheds light on the word used here by Luke, not only when talking about Jesus, but also here again when talking about the apostles, when he says that they are commissioned to proclaim This word to proclaim, it's used often when referencing preaching and teaching, but it has its origins in the royal court where a herald would go out and announce the arrival of the king or maybe go out and announce some other news of public importance. In the same way, the apostles are being sent out to herald the gospel, to announce that the Messiah is here The Messiah is come. The king of kings is here. The king of his people has arrived. Clearly that message is primary. But remember, the commission's twofold, right? Jesus also told them that accompanying this preaching would be the miracles of healing. He sent them out to heal. Like Jesus himself, the message of the apostles would be authenticated by the healing of the sick, the casting out of demons, the cleansing of lepers and restoring of sight to the blind. This ministry of miraculous healing would prove that what they were saying was true. The kingdom has indeed come. Jesus had arrived as king to redeem his people, to save them from the curse of the fall. He had come to save people, both body and soul. He had come to deliver them from death and disease. The apostles were to make known to people that Jesus has the power to make them whole. It's important that I say that this ministry is somewhat limited, right? The apostles couldn't heal everyone. And even those that they did heal may have gotten sick again, right? At some point and I'm sure if the Bible is true as I believe it is, it's appointed unto man once that he should die. All the people they healed also died. So while we must see the importance of healing for what it is, it's a a seal of authenticity for their message. We must also see, and I think this is the point, that the most important healing they brought was not temporal. It wasn't earthly, but it was eternal Eternal healing, the eternal healing of both body and soul, the eternal healing that comes with eternal life one can have through faith 
in Jesus Christ. Though we be afflicted with much in this world, we are promised to be set free from even that in the next. We will be with Jesus and we will be with Jesus whole. Preaching and healing were always the main hallmarks of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. And so by commissioning the apostles to do the same thing, Jesus was making them to be an extension of even his own ministry. I want you to think about this for a minute. Rather than taking his gospel around the world by himself, Jesus would in turn give it to his disciples so that they would be the ones, his apostles, they would be the ones to carry it to the ends of the earth. And when you think about how That is still being passed on and carried on even to today so that weird fools like me can get up and preach and you can go and live out the gospel amongst other people. That's still how Jesus is fulfilling this in us. Jesus was multiplying his own ministry through his chosen ones. These apostles would preach the gospel to more people in more places than Jesus could have done by himself, earthly speaking, during his earthly ministry. So you can see clearly here, Jesus commissions them, take my ministry and carry it out, the ministry of word and healing. That's a small task, right? What a small calling. No, it's not. It's not. That leads us to our second point this morning, a point that comes primarily from verse one, and that is the provision that Jesus gives to them as they go. So the second point is provision. Now we're not told any detail about how the apostles handled this commission. You ever wonder that? You ever read and say, well, how'd these guys take that? What was their response? Were they anxious? Were they scared? What was going through their minds at that moment? When I was in seminary, I I had a a friend who had started his pastoral internship at a small church across the border from Charlotte in South Carolina. And after a few months, the, the pastor finally, feeling good about this young man, finally gave him an opportunity to preach. And when that Sunday finally arrived, my friend was really nervous. This is gonna be the first time he had ever stood before a congregation and preached. He had done it in class but he had never done it before a church. So just before he went up, the pastor is a good pastor. He introduced his intern. And this is what he said, according to my friend. This morning, our intern will be giving his very first sermon. Now he is really nervous and the sermon probably won't be very good, (laughs) but let's do our best to encourage him by enduring with it. And they look at him and say, all right, son, the pulpit's yours. I don't see Nathan in here. I promise, Nathan, I won't do that to you when the time comes. No matter how these apostles are feeling, Jesus doesn't show the same level of skepticism with his band of interns as that pastor did. And perhaps that's because Jesus can do what earthly leaders cannot do. Look again at verse one. It says that Jesus calls the 12 together and he gives them, quote, power and authority. Power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. You see, Jesus does so much more than just tell them what to do. He gives them the divine authority and the almighty power they needed to complete it. 
Think about those words, power and authority. Power is the ability to do something, right? And authority is the right to do it. The apostles needed both. And so that's their great provision. They were given both the ability and the authority to carry it out. It got me thinking that, you know, sometimes people have the power to do something, but they don't have the authority to do it and vice versa. If you think about it, uh, a street gang may have the power to control an entire neighborhood, but it doesn't have the rightful authority to do so. And by contrast, a police officer in the area might have the authority to stop the violence, but can he? If he doesn't have help, if he doesn't have backup, he may not have the power to get it done all by himself. I think you see the interplay there. The apostles, though, they're not going to have this worry. They have both the power and the authority of Jesus. They have the power and authority of Jesus. And so I believe that the instructions that Jesus gives the apostles in verses four and five serve to underscore this great provision. See, there you'll find Jesus essentially telling them to pack light. Right? You can read that for yourself in verses four and five again. He basically tells them, pack light. Don't bring a lot with you. In fact, it's almost as if he's saying, bring nothing. Right? Bring nothing with you. It's not that Jesus wants them to suffer on their trip or he wants them to simply be beggars wherever they go. No, Jesus wants them to do two things here, I believe. He wants them to, to grab the urgency of the task. Right? Get in, do your job, and get out. It's urgent. All these towns and villages need to hear the gospel, so take it to them. But also, right, he wants them to know that he will continue to provide for them even as they go. He'll provide for them through the hospitality and generosity of his people. You see, this is part of the internship. He didn't just want them to know what they were doing. He wanted them to grow in their personal faith too, to grow in their trust that God would continue to bless them and provide what they needed. And so they went. Look at verse six. Sounds like something Luke would write. Very matter of fact. And they departed and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere, period. There's no mention of results. Did you catch that? There's no mention of results, which I'm actually thankful for because we put too much emphasis on results, particularly in our culture. But there's one more important aspect of this apostolic internship I think there's there for us to see. And it actually doesn't speak to results, but it speaks to expectation, which are related. So we find this in verse five. We also find it in verses seven through nine, and it's what I'm gonna call the collision like a car wreck, right? A collision. And that's our third and final point this morning, the collision. In verse five, Jesus tells the apostles how they are to respond to those who don't receive them or their message. Let's look there again together. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. We're familiar with that phrase, shake the dust off our feet, but we may not know where it comes from. It 
comes from this that Jesus is alluding to. It's a, a highly symbolic gesture of the Jewish people for, for many years. You see, in Jesus's day, when a Jew would travel to Gentile lands and return to Israel, which they considered the holy land, right? Or the holy place, just before they stepped back into Israel, they would remove their sandals and shake the dust off of them. Why? because they didn't want to carry in any pagan or Gentile contamination into the promised land. Even the dirt is defiled, so we're not going to bring it in. So it was a symbolic gesture. That is outside. Now I'm inside. Now I'm in the holy place. R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on Luke, uh, he spends a lot of time talking about how this directive of Jesus was actually quite radical. Uh, He reminds us, and I'll quote, Jesus was sending the apostles not into Gentile countries or to the pagan communities. Jesus was sending them to Jewish villages and towns to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. So instructing them to do this in this way is declaring symbolically that the Israelites who reject the kingdom were no better than Gentiles. They're essentially saying on their way out, You do not belong to the people of God. You do not belong to the people of God. So what's the point? The point is this. Wherever the kingdom of God is preached, worlds collide. Worlds collide. There's inevitable collision between the kingdom of Christ and the kingdoms of this world. There's only one throne and King Jesus will not share it with the rulers of this world. Another way to say it is there is no neutrality. There are no contingency plans for pagans, unbelieving Jews, or any other system of ungodliness in this world. There's only one way, only one way. And that way is the narrow gate accessed through believing the gospel of Jesus Christ and coming to God the Father through him by the work of his spirit. That's what they're saying. Jesus is the only way. Wherever the kingdom of God is preached, a line is drawn in the sand. On one side is King Jesus, and on the other is death and hell. And Jesus is telling his apostles that when you draw that line, proclaim it, Draw the line and cross it. Go to the side of Jesus and shake the dust off your feet that comes from the other side. Those who come over with them will have eternal life. And those who remain on the other side stand condemned. How's that for good news? It's good news if you believe. Let's look at verses seven through nine. What do we make of that? Why did I include that? This brief account of Herod, the Tetrarch. I included it because I'm really thankful it's there. I'm really glad it's put here because it stands as a reminder that even though the worlds around us are still colliding with the kingdom of Christ, yet there still remains time to cross that line. Listen, God is patient with us. Hopefully you believe that. God is very patient with us, but I hope you believe this too. His patience doesn't last forever. Herod has heard 
all that was happening. And what's his response? He's perplexed. He hears all kinds of theories, and we read those, all kinds of theories about what is happening. But he's asking one very important question. Who is this about whom I hear such things? We could paraphrase it this way. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? I want to see him. I want to see him. Now, that's actually really ironic, right? Since when does a king or ruler need permission to bring someone before them? You ever think about that? If the king calls you to go and have court with him, guess where you go? You go, and your life is in his hands. Herod's gonna get his day with Jesus, and we'll get to that probably next year sometime when we get to that part of Luke. We'll get to that. But this, this reminds me of something very important. People hear the gospel all the time. People know a lot about Jesus, but they have not yet believed in him. One day, they say, one day I'll believe. Not right now, they might say. I have more important things to do today than consider that. Are my favorite. I'll get right with Jesus when I'm ready. I'm having too much fun. I'll get right with him when the time comes. Do you know anybody who says things like that? Perhaps you're saying things like that. It's foolish. It's absolutely foolish. You do not know how much time you have left. You have no idea. The gospel of the kingdom of God that the apostles are being called to bring to bear here is a matter of life and death, spiritual life and death. And you know what? That same gospel, which is proclaimed even today, the gospel that calls you and me to faith and repentance, the gospel that calls us to believe and trust in Jesus Christ, this gospel is still today a matter of life and death. So please hear me. If you are one who's here, one who's yet to cross that line, to enter by the narrow gate to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear this. You don't know how long you have left. If the events of the last week have taught us anything is how quickly lives can be taken. So hear this. This gospel is proclaimed for you. Believe in the Lord Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's not my words of exclusiveness. That's Jesus' word. He is the only way. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Have you done that? Worlds are colliding, but only one king always has been and always will be and even is now triumphant. And that's our King Jesus who rules and reigns over it all. So if you're here and you haven't crossed that line, would you bow your knee to him this morning? He'll pull you over to the other side. So brothers and sisters, as we draw to a close this morning, because I know that many of you have done that, many of you have believed in the Lord Jesus. So I'm gonna remind you of three things. 
by way of application briefly. First, that commission given to the apostles by Jesus remains the commission given to the church even today. We're called to make disciples by our preaching and teaching, and we're called to minister to the needs of others through our acts of mercy and service. Here at the chapel, we call this sharing our lives and sharing the gospel. So let us thank God that he's called us into a church that stands firm on his word. Let's thank God as well that he's given us elders and deacons to lead us in the ministry of the word and the ministry of service. Let's thank God for placing us in this community and your community. Some of you drive quite a distance to get here. Thank God that he put you there to be ambassadors for him. And let us not grow weary of learning. Is that what it says? Let's not grow weary in doing good, in doing. Let us be people who are both hearers and doers of the word. Secondly, the provision given to the apostles by Jesus still is the same provision that he gives to us even today. Now, to be clear, the apostolic gifts were unique to the dawn of the new covenant era. Let us remember though, that by the Holy Spirit working in and through us, we're still able to answer God's call, to minister to those who are in need, to preach to those who need to hear the truth, right? But he still gives us his spirit to be able to do it. How often do we think I've got this? Thanks for clarifying, Pastor Dan, what I need to do, so I'm just gonna go do it. How does that work? You feel tired? Perhaps discouraged? Perhaps even sometimes in despair? What did the music team sing for us? Come unto Jesus. Come unto Jesus. He will strengthen you. He will encourage you. Find rest in him. Actual rest that rejuvenates you and helps you serve him. And finally, I said three, here's three. That collision that was faced in the apostles' day is the same collision that we face today. Commission's the same, the provision's the same, the collision is the same. You can expect opposition to the gospel. I don't hear that enough. You can expect opposition to the gospel. But here's the thing that drives me crazy is how often that opposition comes from within and not just from without. Am I alone in that? I don't think I am. It's very despairing. But even I, even I don't bow my knee to King Jesus as I should each and every day. That I don't trust in him each and every day. How many times do we find ourselves like the man in Mark 9 when Jesus is about to heal his son and Jesus says, do you believe? You remember how he answered? I believe, help my unbelief. That's Pastor Dan and likely many of you in a nutshell. I believe, help my unbelief, oh God. The point is, is that the expectation of opposition shouldn't lead us to despair because the results aren't up to us. Y'all need to hear that. The results aren't up to you. God's got it. 
I said I'd never say that, but here I go saying it. God's got this. God has it. He's at work in you. He's at work through you. He's at work for you. He's invited you to walk, to walk into the good works that he prepared beforehand, to walk in them, to faithfully serve him. You're gonna be opposed from within and from without. But guess what? Jesus wins. Jesus won. Jesus is triumphant. So let us cry out to the King of Kings that he would grant each and every one of us the grace that we need to actually live and celebrate that victory for his glory and for our good. Amen and amen.